Okay, everybody. Um, welcome, sixth grade. This is Mrs. DeWitt's recording on the podcast, her podcast. Um, so please make sure that you have your books in front of you. All right. It starts, the whole unit starts on 106, but I believe the story starts on 108. So please make sure that you have it in front of you and please read along because it will make it easier for you. Uh, this guy is uh, fun to listen to. He stumbles one, just a few times here and there. It's very minor, but you know it's easier for you to keep up and keep moving with him. So make sure that you're listening carefully. All right. So um, we're going to be discussing things such as inferences, a lot of uh, literary elements and things that go into stories, as you well know, but we are going to be focusing a lot on inferences. Uh, so keep that in mind. Also, for your assignment, as you saw, you have to do Dig Deeper, and please submit that to me by Tuesday morning so I can get that back to you with comments, okay? So without further ado, I would like to have this gentleman tell the story to you. So let me get this going. Okay, and here is the Ace's phone. as I read through this. Martin loves his big family, but there's barely enough room for him in his crowded urban apartment. He spends a lot of time skating outdoors, feeling that there is a void in his life he ought to fill. When he finds a cell phone in the park one day, Martin presses the speed dial numbers to see if he can identify its owner. He gets nowhere until he presses the number five. Dun, dun, dun. The phone rang only once. Then there was a click and a brief silence. And then came a sound unlike anything he'd heard before. It seemed to come from both far away and near. A clamor made up of a thousand thread-like voices. And along with the noise came a blast of feeling so strong it nearly knocked him off the bench. He pitched forward as if he'd gotten a sudden terrible cramp. The feeling poured into his ear and flooded down through his chest and into his blood and raced like fire all through his body. It wasn't rage or fear or joy or love, but a mixture of all of them, so strong that he cried out and dropped the phone on the ground. The pigeons, thinking it might be something to eat, flocked around it. He bent down to pick it up, shaking. Cautiously, he put the phone near his ear not right against it this time, and listened. The strange, immense chorus of sound still poured out, and the feeling jolted him again. It was so strong that he couldn't, set, he couldn't stay sitting on the bench. He had to get up and move. He paced furiously around the playground, under the swings, over to the slide, around the jungle gym. It was a good thing no one was there. He knew he looked very odd, as if the wind was blowing him this way and that. After a long time, he began to notice something. The feeling that shot through him changed slightly as he changed his direction. When he walked toward the basketball diamond, 
the baseball diamond, excuse me, his heart beat harder as if he were afraid. When he walked toward Avenue B, he grew calmer. When he went out of the park and down 14th Street, he felt weighed down by sadness. It was like that game where you're looking for something and the other person says, You're hot. No, you're getting colder. No, really cold. Now you're hot again. But what was he looking for? He had no idea. The next day, he had a terrible time concentrating at school. He was wildly impatient to try out the phone again. It wasn't quite as cold, so a few people were in the park when he got there. A mother pushing her toddler on a swing, a couple of kids going back backward down the slide, and an old woman in a knit hat and a lumpy purplish coat trudging along the path by the baseball diamond. Martin stood within a clump of trees at the corner of the park, turned on the phone and pressed five. Once again, the torrent of sound feeling rushed through him and forced him to start walking. He went toward Avenue B, since that had made him feel, since that had made the feeling calmer yesterday. But it didn't work today. Everything was different. He felt a pang of fear as he went toward the jungle gym and a jolt of joy as he neared the picnic tables. Finally, when he got back to the park bench, he just stopped. He turned off the phone and sat down, completely confused. That was when he felt a poke in his back and a voice said, That phone you got, that's mine. He whirled around. Behind him stood the old woman he'd seen before. She was glaring at him from under the rim of her knit hat, which looked like a purple pancake dripping just above her eyes. She pointed to the phone in his hand and said again, That's mine. I must have dropped it yesterday. Martin held on to it tighter. Prove it, he said. The old woman laughed. Easy. I bet you called my number five, right? He just stared at her. All of a sudden, he recognized her. Mrs. DeSalvio was her name, though she was usually called Mrs. D. He'd seen her for years around the neighborhood, always tramping along with a phone held to her ear. People joked about her. They said she must have the most long-winded family in the world because she always seemed to be listening, hardly ever talking. Ever heard anything like that before, she said. He shook his head. What is it? She came around to his side of the bench and sat down beside him with a thump, wafting out a smell that reminded Martin of a pastrami sandwich. Why should I tell you, she said. Because you want your phone back, said Martin, edging away and putting the phone in his pocket. She pinned him with her eyes. They were clear eyes, Martin saw. First, she said, you tell me about you. Who are you? Talk to me. He could have just stood up and walked away, or run. She could never have caught him, but he thought the phone probably was hers, which meant she knew what was going on with it, and he wanted to know, too, so he talked. She listened. She said, good, good, when he told her about skating. She frowned and bunched up her lip when he told her about where he lived, the too small, too crowded, too noisy apartment that he didn't want to go home to after school. You should have an after-school job, she said. Yeah, said Martin, but I don't know how to do anything. She leaned close to him and spoke in a low voice. Do you like animals? Animals? Sure. What kind? All kinds, I guess. You like dogs? Yeah, I wish I had one. Why don't you then? 
No dogs allowed in the building. All right, said the old woman. She took some crumbs out of her pocket and tossed them to the pigeons who clustered around her feet. Now, can you handle the strange? What? The strange, she said irritably. You know, the strange, the unusual, the slightly weird. Can you handle that? Sure, said Martin. He liked the strange and unusual. I wouldn't tell you this if I thought you were going to laugh, she said, or spread it around to your friends. I wouldn't, said Martin, which was the truth. I have this hunch you might be the one. That's why I'm telling you, she said. The one, said Martin. What one? But she didn't answer. She just studied his face as if his brown eyes, his wavy black hair, and his chipped front tooth were giving her some kind of clue about him. All right, then, she said finally. That number you called? She paused. She squinched up her lips. She lowered her voice to a hoarse whisper. That number taps you into the dogs. Martin stared at her. He didn't get it. What? He said. A gust of wind blew some crumpled food wrappers across the playground. The pigeons rose into the air and settled again. Let's walk around, the old woman said. I'm freezing to death sitting here like this. So they walked around the path that circled the playground, around and around, and she explained. You know dogs, she said. They don't talk. They don't have the words, just the feelings. They got feeling so strong they fill up the air like, like, she waved her hands around, like a big network of radio waves. This phone taps into the network. If you're not used to it, you call that number and the feelings come roaring through and knock you down. That's what happened to me, Martin said. But what's the point of a phone like that and where did you get it? An old guy in my building gave it to me, she said, a long time ago. And the point of it is ACEs. What's that? Assistance for canines in emergency situations. ACEs. I don't understand, said Martin. Let's sit down, she said. My feet hurt walking around like this. So they sat down again. You figured out that the feeling changes when you change direction, she said. I saw you doing it. Yeah, said Martin, but I don't know why. Let me have the phone, she said, holding out her hand. Martin gave it to her. She punched in the number. She frowned, clenched her jaw, and put the phone to her ear. For a few seconds, she listened. Then she nodded and handed the phone to Martin. Hold yourself strong, she said, and you can take it. He tightened all the muscle, all his muscles and listened. Again, the feelings rampaged through him, but they didn't strike him down. Okay, said Mrs. D. That's good. She took the phone back and turned it off. Now, here's what you're hearing. This network here covers about 20 blocks. There's others all over the city. You don't have to worry about them. For this one, the park is the center. We're getting the vibes of all the dogs in, the, in that 20-block area pets and strays both what you're hearing is like hundreds of little streams all running together in one huge river you listen real hard and careful and you can hear the different well not voices exactly more like transmissions 
I figured that out, said Martin. If you keep trying, you can find the way that feels better. That, said the woman, is exactly what you don't want to do. You gotta go the way that feels worst. That's the whole point. She fastened the top button of her coat and turned the collar up. Come on, she said. I'll show you. She made the call again. She stood up, listening. She took a few steps, changed direction, took a few more steps, and kept doing this for a minute or so. Then she handed the phone to him. Okay, she said. Listen hard, and you'll hear a sort of wail, and you'll feel something kind of heavy and sad. Walk this way. She pointed toward Avenue B. And the sadness will get worse. What you want is to find where it's coming from. So you can keep going toward it. It's hard, but the more you do it, the stronger you get. So Martin walked. He set up Avenue B, gritting his teeth because the sad feeling was indeed getting worse. The well was thin and far away, like a needle of sound, and the sadness was like a stone in his chest. Every time the stone grew lighter, he knew he was going the wrong way. He had to pick out the faint well from the chorus and turn, around, turn toward it again and again. The whole time, Mr. Salvio kept talking. Last week, out near Anderson Avenue, I found a little mutt that got the worst of a dog fight. One side of him all bloody. She stamped along beside him, shaking her head. We've got an arrangement with the animal shelter, by the way, she said. They fix up Ace's dogs for free. They were in Martin's neighborhood now. That's where I live, he said, pointing at his building. On the third floor, there's seven of us. He, w- he would have told her more about how his father wanted to look for a better place, but never had time, about how he had to share his room with a four-year-old and a five-year-old, but the stone in his chest was dragging on his words, making them heavy and hard to say. He fought against the desire to sit down on the sidewalk and curl up into a ball. Then there's the worst ones, Miss D, said Miss D, after a quick glance at his building. They turned the corner onto 18th Street. That's when you find people being cruel to their dogs. Now this I can't stand. Martin put his free hand over his other ear. He didn't want to hear about it. The sadness coming at him over the phone was almost more than he could stand. The stone in his chest felt like a load of bricks now attached by a chain to his heart. They turned up Carter Street and went by the Chinese grocery and the noodle shop and the dry cleaners. Every now and then, Mrs. D took the phone from him and listened herself to make sure he was doing it right. This is a real heavy one for your first time, she said. Sorry about that. Past the used bookstore they went, past the ice cream place. Martin's knees wanted to crumble. His feet weighed 10 pounds apiece. But it isn't all bad, I want you to know, Mrs. D went on. I can't tell you how many lost dogs I've returned to their families. Martin wasn't listening. He was afraid he couldn't stand it anymore. He thought he might collapse onto the curb and start sobbing. I can't do this, he gasped out the words, and at first she didn't hear him. I can't, he said again, but he kept going anyhow. And in a minute he realized something odd. He'd come to a spot where no matter what direction he took, the feeling grew just a tiny bit weaker. If he stood still, it was horribly strong. He told her so. Then we're here, she said. This is it. They'd come to a big apartment building, 350 Lincoln Avenue, with wide steps leading up to a double door. The door was open because two men carrying a table between them were coming out. 
Grab the door, Miss D whispered to Martin. He did, and they slipped inside. All right, now listen again. You should hear that one voice all by itself now. He listened. The doleful feeling led him up the first flight of stairs and down a hall. At the end was an open door. It was clear that whoever lived here had moved out. Big, taped-up cardboard boxes stood in the hall. You want me to take over now, said Mrs. D. Martin shook his head. He wasn't going to go through all this just to quit at the end. Then go in there and find out what's going on, she said. I'll wait for you out here. Martin turned off the phone and handed it to Mrs. D. He stepped into the apartment. It was nearly empty except for a rolled-up carpet. He smelled paint. The only noise was a faint scraping sound coming from another room. He followed the sound. In the living room, which overlooked the street, stood a man facing the windows with his back to Martin. He was tapping a piece of paper to the glass. Excuse me, Martin said. The man turned around. Who are you, kid? Martin said his name. Is there a dog here, he asked. Sure is, said the man. In there, in the kitchen. He pointed across the hall. People left People left him behind. Can you believe it? Just left him without a word. He turned back He turned back to his taping. So I've got to take him to the pound unless you want him. Martin went into the kitchen. There, under the kitchen table, tied to a table leg with a piece of rope, was a curled up heap of sorrow, a small dog, white with brown patches and triangle ears. Without raising his head, he swiveled his eyes to look up at Martin. His tail was tucked down around his rump. He was trembling. Martin squatted down and put his hand on the dog's back. Hey, dog, he said quietly. Hey, good dog. I'm here now. He untied the rope from the table leg and coaxed the dog to his feet. Slowly, he led him out of the kitchen. The man was sweeping the floor of the living room now. Martin looked at the piece of paper taped to the window. It said, for rent. How much, he asked. The The man told him. Martin's heart sped up. How many bedrooms? Four, the man said. Martin's heart beat so hard it made his voice shake. I know a family that might like it, he said. Nice people, my family. Will you hold it till I can get my father to come look? Okay, said the man, but you better get in right now. This place is going to go fast. When Martin came out, Mrs. D, who'd been listening by the door, cast a glance at the little dog and told Martin her hunch had been right. She was turning over the ace's job to him. Meant to be, she said. Meant to be, no doubt about it. Just in time, too. My feet are too old for this. <coughs> she frowned at him, and her purple hat fell down over her eyebrows. Now, you don't get sick of this and quit, will you? No, said Martin. And if you do ever want to quit, you'll find someone to take over, won't you? Yes, said Martin. She nodded once and handed him the phone. Then she reached out and snatched it back again. She hit the five button and held held the phone to her ear. Just want to listen one more time, she said. She stood there for a minute or so. Then she turned and stumped away. And in the months and years that followed, people in the neighborhoods around the 14th Street Park became accustomed to seeing a tall boy on his inline skates every afternoon gliding along the streets with a cell phone pressed to his ear. They figured he was a... was a delivery boy of some kind. He never told anyone what his job really was. To his family and friends, he said he was out practicing his skating. It was true that he got a lot of practice. Some days he skated for miles, answering dozens of urgent calls. 
Other days, there might be only one, sorry, might be only two calls or only one. And now and then came a day when the feelings pouring through the phone contained not a single thread of distress. When all the dogs in all the 20 blocks were well fed and contented, either safe at home or romping happily with their people. On those afternoons, Martin left his skates in the apartment at 350 Lincoln Avenue, went to the 14th Street Park and played ball with his own dog, who was no longer sad. Okay, so um, as you can see, there were um, a lot of uh, interesting things going on in the story. Uh, as they were walking along, you notice she is um, bringing him along and he's sort of struggling. Okay, so he, it's showing a lot of struggle in his step, but he says as it goes on, it gets easier. And then if he stops, it gets harder. So think about that. We are going to go over this. Now, in literature, as we have discussed on many occasions, nothing is accidental. So when you read this, when you see these things, it all means something. Okay, so we're going to go over two things um, via Google Meet tomorrow. Okay, we're going to go over inferences and symbolisms. Okay, two very important things here. All right, so keep that in mind and please do dig deeper and have that submitted to me by Tuesday, hopefully morning, so I can get those comments to you and sent back and you will receive a grade for them. Okay, so um, hope you enjoyed this story and it's a good little story so uh we will be going more into it and delving deeper so keep that in mind all right now get all of your stuff done and i will speak to you soon all right